an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network. In for Stormy today, I am Dave Ross. This is the Lombardi Line. The show, of course, is presented by DraftKings. I am here at Circus Sportsbook in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, joined by the GM himself, Michael Lombardi, back in Jersey. Michael, I hope you and the family had a wonderful Christmas holiday yesterday. Did you enjoy it as much as I did with three NFL games? Because I heard some, I wouldn't say whining, but I, I heard some consternation that maybe it was too much football on the Christmas holiday. You know, I, I, you know, I heard that on Christmas Eve, too. We should watch a Christmas movie. No, we're going to watch the Broncos and the Patriots. We're not watching. I've seen Home Alone. I'll, we'll get to that, you know. And we watched a little bit of Rudolph in the morning on Sunday morning. But, look, I, I mean, where do you see what the ratings are? What do you think that ratings oh. were last night compared to the 76ers and the Miami Heat? I mean, Crushed. you know. So, no, there's never enough football. I mean, even the giant eagle game during dinner time on Christmas Day was probably going to be rock and sock em, especially considering that, you know, unfortunately we saw the end of the Tommy DeVito era in New York. I, at least I think we have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the Eagles find ways to keep their opponent in the game. I mean, that was a hard one because if you handicap that game to lay the 13, that was the right handicap. The Eagles just decided to be very generous and get, get the Giants get back into the game and, it made no sense to me at all, but had Tyrod Taylor not coming off the bench, I doubt that they would have even gotten as close as eight. Yeah, and that's the fascinating thing about that game is the Eagles get that eight-point win, so they don't cover that number. The uh, overcatch is easily close, 41-and-a-half. And you mentioned it there with DeVito being benched uh, to begin the second half. Tyrod Taylor comes in, and I don't know if it's so much Tyrod or the Eagles' miscues allowing the Giants back in the game, as you alluded to. Uh, but I do want to get your thoughts on what we heard from Devontae Smith because I get the feeling from the Eagles, even the calls are coming from inside the house, that now with 11 wins, they're actually tied with the Niners, if you can believe this, with two weeks to go to potentially get the number one seed in the NFC. Even Devontae Smith, you get the feeling that he doesn't believe what this team has done so far is good enough. Take a listen. 
got a win today, but, you know, of course, next week with Arizona and then the Giants again. The yeah, we, we got two weeks to get together. Got to fix it in two weeks. We hear the frustration, but is there any part of you that can be like, we do have 11 wins, like, we're all right? Or? 11 wins, we're not playing good. So, as an as offense, we're not where we want to be. So, I mean, I'm not satisfied. Yeah, we got 11 wins. I'm not happy. It needs to be better for what I want to do, what everybody else in here wants to do, what we want to be. We're nowhere near this. A rump. And look, as an old reporter, Michael, I love the Devontae Smiths of the world, not sugarcoating it, not giving you hyperbole, not giving you, you know, what, what coach speak, if you will, saying, hey, 11 wins? We're not playing good football. I mean, he said it. Yeah. How do you evaluate what you see from the Eagles week in, week out? Well, I, I think this, you know, and I wrote about this for VEASAN last week. There, there's always three categories of when you win. I think we saw it yesterday, right? So, you know, when you watch the Eagle-Giant game, I would say that was not, a, you know, the Eagles didn't dominate the game. They looked like they were dominating, but they couldn't. They basically had what I call a dictating win, which is they were able to dictate the game eventually as they got back, you know, but they made too many mistakes to make it a dominating win. And then there's those dangerous wins where you win and you're like, oh, my God, that was really lucky. The Eagles have not had a dominating win in, uh, going back to week three. That's really what he's saying. We haven't been able to play our best football. We've played two. We've played some bad quarterbacks, and we've been fortunate to win some games. I mean, playing against DeVito and Tyrod Taylor, you're up 20 to three, and you let them come back in the game. That's not a good sign for your team. I'm not sure they're any better defensively than they were, considering the Giants. You know, made big plays, moved the ball on them at times when they finally were smart enough to go back to to go, go to Tyrod Taylor. I mean, Tyrod, I'm sure he was shaking his head, saying, like, at some point, when are you going to call my number here? Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, so, yeah, I, 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 look, the Eagles, their problems, the Chiefs' problems, they're there. They're not going away. We're in week 17. They don't go away. It's how you adjust your team to cover up for those problems. That's the key. The Eagles really made a concentrated effort to run the ball. They're trying to protect their defense. They played from in front like they typically did last year, up 20-3, to three, but then the mistakes creeped in. So you can certainly understand the frustrations. When you don't have enough dominating wins, especially in the Philadelphia area, where every win is graded, it's going to be a problem. 11-point favorites next week at home against the uh, Arizona Cardinals as they come to town. And again, they beat the Cardinals, beat the Giants, they at least win the NFC East with a chance to get the 1-2 or at worst the 3 seed. You mentioned the Chiefs, and their problems offensively were on display yesterday at Arrowhead as well. You saw the frustration, certainly, of Travis Kelsey slamming his helmet. You saw, you know, look like Patrick Mahomes was kind of like, give me the play, I can't use the language he was caught using on tape with, with Andy Reid. And they lose inexplicably at home to the Raiders, who I don't believe completed a pass for almost three quarters. 20 to 14 is the final there. So obviously Raiders cash all tickets there if you were on the the Vegas side here. But let's hear from Mahomes because the way he kind of phrases it is glass half full that you can still see some signs. But, Michael, I want you to interpret what you're hearing from Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think you just you see glimpses of it. I mean, you see glimpses of us moving the football. You see glimpses of us scoring in the red zone. Um, it's just we haven't consistently done it enough um, game in and game out. Um, at this end of the season, we kind of had one good game, one bad game, one good game, one bad game. Um, but uh, we have to 
be more consistent because when you get to the playoffs, you have to string some together. And so um, I think our focus this week is how can we be better um, against Cincinnati and how can we find a way to, be, to beat a, a good football team. Um, we'll obviously look at the tape, uh, learn from it, um, and then try to come back with a better mentality this next week. I kind of like that, Michael, much more than what I heard after the Bills loss with the offsides, blaming the officials. Uh, What do you make? Is that a little bit introspective there for Mahomes? Well, I I mean, I think to me that tape is only going to depress him. Mm. I mean, you know, this offense is broken. I mean, Kelsey can't get open. You know, I, I, I don't know. The offensive line can't protect. They were trying to move their tackles around. The Raider defensive line controlled the line of scrimmage from the very first play of the mm-hmm. game. You know, Mahomes is back there. He's got guys open. He won't throw the ball. They're looking for shots down the field. They've yet to accept who they are offensively. That's the biggest issue, David. They, don't, they won't accept that they're no longer this offense that's explosive. Like, they won't accept it. Like, they want the one-play, two-play drives. And they won't take the profits. You know, Mahomes isn't playing well. Mm. You can say, well, he's had 33 drops. I get that. But he had, I mean, he was holding the ball so long, you have to sit there and say, well, why don't you just throw it? Somebody had to be open, you know, and make some bad decisions on second plays where he's got a chance to run with it and he throws it, almost throws another interception, throws an interception for a touchdown. I mean, they're just not playing. They don't have an identity anymore on offense because they can't make an explosive play. And then Kelsey was upset because when they were in 11 personnel, their tackles are so bad. When he's the tight end in the 11 personnel grouping, he's got a block. Mm-hmm. He don't want to block. So then when they go to 12, which means Kelsey's now the second tight end, they're really slow on offense. They have no speed. So they, they're, they're kind of betwixt and between. Mm. And, and so they have to change their mindset. I've been saying this for six weeks. We have to change our mindset. They're not winning games 48 to 10. They're not that explosive anymore. They've got to methodically move the ball down the field, and he's got to be able to take the profits and and convert first downs as opposed to thinking we're going to score in two plays. I, I'm still stunned when you see Aiden O'Connell's numbers, 9 of 21, 62 yards, and did not complete a pass after the first quarter, and you win in Arrowhead. And then I heard Antonio Pierce afterward, and he used three phrases that really caught my eye. He said, what did we talk about? We talked about ill intent. We talked about violence, and we talked about physicality. Those might be on stances in the NFL of what not to do. Like, the league must hate that when they hear that. But that's old-school mentality of Antonio Pierce. They feel like they've got an identity. I mean, they lose 3 nothing to the Vikings a couple weeks ago, and they lose a game by giving up a field goal. I mean, has AP, in your eyes, earned this job next year? I know Mark Davis's eyes are the only ones that really matter. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Patrick Graham's done a remarkable job defensively. Yep. I mean, look at what they've done. I mean, defensively, they've been very good. Going back to the Miami game, where they held Miami to 20 points. They've turned the ball over. They've done a great job of playing situational football. And, I mean, I know Kansas City came in there and put 31 on them after they got behind 14, but they've really played better since then. So, yeah, I mean, Pierce has done a good job. Look, I, I think I, I don't understand why they continue to play O'Connell because I don't know if you can get any worse than that. I mean, they won that game without having any quarter. They would have been better in the single wing. Yes. I mean, they're sitting up there in the press box figuring out, okay, how do we not throw a pass and win the game? And then for, for whatever reason, the announcers on NBC, on CBS said, well, the, the Chiefs defense is tired. How are they tired? They didn't play at all. I mean, the Raiders went three and out, three and out, three and out like it was their job. When Andy Reid turned down the three points at the end of the first, at, yes. at the, like in the fourth quarter, yes, I'm thinking, what is he? What game is he watching? Like, make it twenty to ten. You're going to get the ball back in a minute forty-two because they're going three and out. 
And now you make it 20 to 17 if you can. And now all you need is a field goal to get it to overtime. You're going to win the game. But then they couldn't stop the run game. I mean, think about it. They got 61 yards. You know, the other thing yesterday was a perfect example of don't pay running backs. All this conversation this offseason, oh, you got to pay the running back. Got to pay the running back. Zaire White comes in off the bench, and he wins the game for him. Nobody was talking about Josh Jacobs in the fourth quarter of that game. No, it's a bad year for those guys that were in that Zoom call at the beginning of the year talking about, you know, we need to get this, and the league is uh, colluding again. I mean, like, who's excelled out of that group that was on that call? Not Josh Jacobs, not Austin Eckler. I mean, these guys feel like, you know, Dalvin Cooks. All those guys, you look at them, you go, where are they now? And to win this game without Josh Jacobs. I I thought it was a great point that you made because I said it in real time. Why aren't you kicking the field goal? But that's the new age mentality we live in, right? Where they go fourth and nine from the fourth and go from the nine. That's a go for it situation because it's the fourth quarter. You had three plays. You couldn't even get a yard. They ran three plays. They couldn't get a yard. They couldn't make a play. The kid dropped the the pass in the end zone. I get that on the 10. But you couldn't make a play. All of a sudden, now you got uh, pixie dust and you're going to score on one play? I didn't understand it. I, I really didn't get that at all. I'm glad I'm not the only one that, that saw it that way as well. When we come back, Michael, let's talk about the game of the week, which turned out to be last night, uh, the best in the AFC against the best in the NFC and break down what you saw and what you think it means going forward. Come on back. Just getting it started. It's the Lombardi line here on Visa. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you're going to always find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine and more. But please drink responsibly. Please be 21 or older. No fake IDs, people. Okay? Uh, back with Michael Lombardi. Michael, are you a, a, a red wine guy or an eggnog guy on Christmas Day? Will you get into those spirits? Not so much the not so much the eggnog, but I'm certainly a red wine guy. That, that's certainly a good thing to have, and a, and a Jack Daniels guy. That's always good. You know, you can't you can't have a holiday without a little bit of cheer, David. Come on now, you got to have a little holiday cheer with you. I had a little bit of that eggnog. I put a little something something in there too. Pretty pretty darn good. There I, you go. I, I might say. Uh, I, I think we were all anticipating the last game on Christmas night last night, uh, and obviously we we understood the implications of it when you had the best in the AFC against the best in the NFC, uh, button heads there in Santa Clara. I was surprised all week. I don't know if you are, Michael, that everybody's like, Niners are healthy. They're going to run roughshod over the Ravens. And I was like, "Mm, I I don't quite see it that way. But I don't know that many saw it the other way. Did you see a pummeling coming by the hands of the Ravens uh, against the Niners? No, but I thought the line was really ridiculous. I thought it was the greatest thing that John Harbaugh could have asked for. And you can read all the comments today how happy they were about it. Like, to to consider them a six-point dog – you know, after they've played so well, have had the lead in so many games in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson's an MVP candidate. Look, Lamar is the perfect player to play against a pass rush because as great as the 49ers are up front, and they're good, is they can't really pin their ears back against Lamar because they're scared to death he's going to take off and run. And if they go past the quarterback, it could be a 30-yard gain. And so you have to have a controlled rush against Lamar, which is not the 49ers style. 
right? They want to get up the field. And so it, it was always going to be Lamar was going to neutralize their rush just by his presence, mm-hmm. just by his ability. And then he was able, once he kind of got into the game and the rhythm and the beats of the game, he was able to execute and connect to the receivers. And they've got skilled players who can run with it after the catch. thought their offensive line did a great job. They were in seven-man protections, five-man. They mixed it up really well. I didn't think the outcome was going to be like this, but I thought it would be a close game. And I've said this on the show on Sunday with Stormy, that if it's close in the fourth, the, the, the Ravens will win it. Because we know Kyle Shanahan's like 1-37 with three or more points going into the fourth. And now he's 0-38 when trailing by eight or more points. Yeah, it's, So it's, this yeah. is not a come-from-behind team. Yeah, well, that is clearly on display. Sam Darnold comes in for Brock Purdy, who had a dismal uh, night in Santa Clara for sure. And you know what is interesting to me, Michael? You heard it pregame. You heard it all week from the Ravens. And then you heard it after the game. They're talking to the safety on you know Sunday Night Football, and they're like, yeah, we knew we were underdogs. I think it was 5, 5.5. They might not have the terminology down, but they know the line. Yeah. And this is such a new day and age where we've embraced gambling, uh, certainly from an NFL standpoint. Could you ever imagine in your days as a GM where you're talking openly about the point spread as motivation for the underdog? Well, I think we've always known about the dog. Oh, you know, they're, fa- they're, they're going to beat us. You know, they're the better team. They're perceived to be the better team. Because every before gambling, we always had power rankings and right. everybody had it. You know, look, look at, look at, uh, look at uh, Lamar Jackson at his press conference. He went after pro football talk. He did. For, you know, he called him he Mike right Flo- after Flores, Florio. I think he called him he Flores. right after Florio. Of course, Florio retreated like a good, you know, a bad army. He, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, he's right. I shouldn't have said what I said, you know. I mean, like, like, seriously. So, like, yeah, we were always aware of who's favorite, who's the better team, who's the perceived better, who's the public think is better. And so coaches have all – this goes back, I'm sure, to George Hallis days where they use that. But this is a little different mm-hmm. because there's so much data now. I mean, this was – Lamar Jackson was the his biggest underdog in his career – was in 2018 when he played against the Chiefs. He was a a six-and-a-half-point dog in that game. He lost 27-24. to Now, he was a a five-and-a-half-point dog in this game, but it went to six. You know, David, it was six on Sunday. Yep. On Monday. I mean, it was six all-overs. And, and, you know, and he won that one outright. And then against Kansas City in 19, he was a a four-and-a-half-point dog, and he ended up losing by five. So when you get the Ravens as a dog – what it, Lamar Jackson's 19-5 ATS as a dog since Ooh. 2018. I mean, you know, as a favorite, he's not as good. Right. But as a dog, you know, they're really good. And this is a team that has played from in front all year. We know the Niners have to play from in front. We know that. That's that's who they are. That's why I read that stat about Kyle and his offense mm-hmm. every year. Because they, they have no drop-back pass game. And if they get behind, they can't catch up. And they just was, don't have it. Yeah. Because here's the other reason I think you have to understand. Because when they, when they have to play catch-up, they can't play positionless football. Okay? So Debo now has to be an outside receiver. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not really Debo's strength. He's a tremendous player. But he's a role player. In the role that he fits in, it's perfect for him. Same thing with McCaffrey. He's a role player, and he fits the role. When the roles change and we got to play catch-up, you can't run the roles anymore. Right? So that becomes the issue, and that's why they can't really play catch-up. Brock Purdy had a night to forget, not once, not twice, not thrice. Four times he gets picked. 
He talked about it after the game. Darnold comes in, kind of leads this late charge, but then they get it first and goal at the one and can't score. Ultimately, a fifth pick ends this one. But here's what Brock, who, by the way, was the favorite to win MVP, and now he's a longer shot, much longer shot, after what we saw transpire last night. Let's hear from Brock. You know, for me, it's like, you know, I got to ask myself, all right, like, who who are you? You know, what do you stand for? Um, you know, who are you when things are good? Who are you when things don't go your way? Um, it's easy to... You know, be riding the high and thinking you're the man um, when things are going well, winning games and all that kind of stuff. And you don't really see, you know, a whole lot of adversity um, in some games and whatnot. And, um, you know, this is the reality of the NFL. And so uh, for myself, I obviously have to look myself in the mirror, watch the plays where I need to get better, make some cleaner decisions, help my team, you know, put up points and score and and protect the ball. Um, And when things don't go my way, it's... um, you know, understanding, you know, I can't be acting out. I, I have to be real with myself and, and be better. But I, I want to be the same guy every day, you know, be consistent in what I do and how I do things, whether things are going well or not. You know, Michael, leading up to this game all week, it featured the top three uh, in the odds market to win MVP. And, you know, Brock Purdy was almost three to one favorite before the game. Lamar was plus 450 and CMC was the long shot at seven to one. And I kept saying, if you really think the Ravens, like you and I did, believe they have a shot to win, you should, instead of playing the money line of the Ravens, play Lamar at plus 450, get better number to win MVP. Now Lamar, in 24 hours later, he's minus $1.60. Purdy is now 12 to 1 to win the MVP, and McCaffrey is 4 to 1. Do you see yeah. it that way? They, I know- they, don't want to give, they, they, they didn't want to give it to Purdy. Let's right. be clear. No, the, the, there's a movement, there's an anti-Purdy movement out there for some reason. You know, I said this on the show on Sunday. You know, Kurt Warner, when he played in Green Bay, uh, he wouldn't even throw a pass. Mm. Ron Wolf said, we had him, we could get him to really throw the ball. So he goes to the Iowa Barnstormers and then he signs a deal with the Rams. And in 1999, everybody loves him. You know, everybody accepts him as a free agent. Nobody's willing to buy into Purdy. Everybody says it's the players around him. It's a joke. Right? One minute it's the players around you. The next minute Mahomes has no players. Brady only the real reason the Patriots won is because of Brady. Belichick's a bad coach. You know, all that. It's just complete nonsense, the narrative. So they don't want to vote for Purdy. I mean, to give it to CMC over Purdy is ridiculous. I mean, CMC was on the field last night too. Yeah, he had hundred yards rushing. How'd that work out for him? Mm. Uh, you know, he couldn't make a play in the game to win him. Did he play badly? Yeah, sure he did. Purdy played poorly last night. He had tip balls that he can't have. Bad read on the first interception. He should have seen Hamilton. Never moved to the outside receiver. So, look, he's a young player. He makes a mistake. Life goes on. But to me, the other guy to play in this MVP race here right now is Josh Allen at 14-1. to Because Baltimore, you know, I mean, Miami's 11-4. and mm-hmm. Now, Buffalo can get to 11. And, uh, Buffalo can get 11 wins. Miami would have to lose. If Miami loses in Baltimore – and Josh Allen beats New England, plays well, puts his numbers up there, then we're looking at that game in Miami at the end of the year. We're looking at that game as deciding the AFC East and the number two seed. Okay? <laughs> and if, you, if he wins that and he outplays and outshines everybody, I think that goes a long way to at least challenging Lamar. Now, if Lamar doesn't play well against Miami and they win, I think we're grading these games on a line-item basis, which I think is kind of unfair. Right? Yeah. I don't even think Lamar played his A game yesterday, to be honest with you. I thought he was good. He was really good, but I don't think it was his A game. But to me, you know, you have to gain, you have to look at the whole season for MVP. 
So I think if Allen's able to win the East coming from where they came from, I mean, that's possible. It's possible. Now, if Miami wins that game in Baltimore, then there's nothing to play for in the East because they have 12 wins and Buffalo can't get to 12. Right. That's the problem, right? They could win the division next week and ultimately the number one seed for Miami if they're able. They're four-point underdogs, by the way, going to Charm City next week to take in the Ravens. Very quickly, before we get a break, because of that, could Tua 10-1 to still be live for you if he outplays Lamar in Charm City? No. No chance. No, no, I mean, this is. I mean, I'm sure he'll get. He'll go to five to one. Everybody wants. It's funny. Everybody wants to vote for two, and nobody wants to vote for Purdy. I don't get it. I, I'm out on that one. <laughs> These narrative-driven awards—they can drive you crazy. That is for sure. Okay, when we come back, Michael, let's get your thoughts on what you saw in the rest of the NFL weekend. That's next, right here on the Lombardi Line. This is the Lombardi Line with former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now here is your host, Stormy Bonatoni, on VSIN, the sports betting network. Looking to bet smarter than VEASAN has the perfect holiday gift for you. Sign up for our holiday special today. Get VEASAN Pro access to everything we do from now through May 1st for just $79. Sign up today. Get unlimited access to daily best bets, exclusive betting splits, premium analysis, 24-7 video, plus all of our betting guides, best bets for all of our college bowl games, the Super Bowl, and even, can you believe it, March Madness, right around the corner. Don't miss out on this limited time holiday offer, so visit vsin.com slash subscribe to sign up for our holiday special now. That's vsin.com slash subscribe. Back alongside Michael Lombardi, I am Dave Ross. It is always a pleasure to catch up with Michael. I told you before the show, Michael, it's like cathartic for me to be able to sit in for Stormy and talk two hours of football with you because I get to pick your brain on what you saw. What I've seen from the Jaguars, woof. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. Four in a row, and yet I think I saw the percentage today. It's still like over 80 percentile chance that they win the division with four straight losses, which is rather remarkable. We know that uh, Trevor Lawrence is not healthy, right? He, he, he was concussed. Now he's got a shoulder. He had the high ankle sprain to begin this losing streak. And yet they say it's not serious, and, you know, he's going to be thrown back out there against the Panthers, a team they should theoretically be able to handle. I'm seeing six, six and a half out there on the board up to seven today. For the Jags. What do you make of what's going on in Jacksonville? Because I think this is a division we just all wrote off as done. And boy, if Houston or Indy had, had put their best foot forward, all of a sudden the narrative would be very different today. But it's not because they're still mathematically the team to win this division with two to play. Well, I mean, Houston's gotten suffered a ton of injuries, right? Mm-hmm. The defensively, along with CJ Stroud, that's a problem. Uh, same thing in Jacksonville. You know, they lose Zay Jones. They lose Christian Kirk. They're really not a very tough team at all. They have no toughness to them at all. They can't run the football. They even try. In fairness, they try. They're 26th in yards rushing. They're 31st in yards per attempt. They have no physicality. Everything for them is let's throw spacing and get four yards. You know, let's do this. And so they have no ability to really do the hard things well. They're 29th in the league. They turn the ball over at a rapid rate. And when their defense doesn't turn the ball over, people have been able to throw the football effectively on them. And that Mm. wasn't even a game the other day against Tampa Bay. I mean, that was over quickly in the first half. And so, you know, they've given up. They've given up in this four-game losing streak. They gave up 34 to Jake Browning. They've given up 30 to to Baker Mayfield. They only gave up 23 to Lamar, and they had to call off the dogs. They gave up 31 to, to to Joe Flacco. I mean, they're not even p- playing the upper echelon quarterbacks other than Lamar. And they weren't even in the Lamar game. I mean, they, they turned it over in that game like it was their job. So, 
I think there's a combination of a lot of things. Yes, they should be able to beat Carolina. Yes, they should be able to go into Tennessee and beat Tennessee, a team they won 34-14 to 14 earlier in the year. But this team's not good. This team's not good enough. I mean, they're not good enough offensively in terms of their physicality up front. And then defensively, they're not good. I mean, they can't stop. They really can't stop the pass play in terms of the secondary, and they really, really give up too many explosive plays. They're 26th in the league, David, in yards per attempt allowed against them. They're 29th in yards allowed passing. This defense has been on a steady decline, and we've seen it. We saw it, you know, after when, when they came back from when they played overseas, they beat Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. Everybody thought, okay, we're 6-2. and two. Things are good. Since they've been 6-2, and two, you know, they are 2-5. and five. Mm. I look at it, too, and I want to get your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence because I feel like, you know, social media, it's like, well, we got to have, have a conversation about X quarterback. I have a conversation about this. I'll be honest. I'm kind of guilty as charged. I assumed Lawrence by this point with Doug Peterson – we would see the strides, and we saw it in the Charger playoff game and the great comeback. So I think we all went, okay, I can put to bed those questions about Trevor Lawrence. Are there questions there, or is this just a matter of health? A ton of them. With, with, yeah. What are you seeing from him? Well, let's frame the question this way. You paying Trevor Lawrence $50 million No, I'm not. Per year? No. Of course, there's your answer. Right. That's what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence. He doesn't do anything with any consistency, and he makes way too many bad decisions. He makes way too many poor decisions. You know, and everybody just kind of has put this under the, well, Doug's going to get him straightened out. You know, Doug will get him straightened out. You know, he's got Peterson to help out. You know, his interception percentage is is almost one point higher than it was all of last year. So he's playing in the same offense, yet he's making more mistakes. He's not throwing the ball down the field. They've got they added Calvin Ridley to their team and his interception and his touchdown percentage has come way down. You know, and so they can't really make it. He's not delivering the football with accuracy. His fundamentals are always have been inconsistent. They've always been inconsistent. And his decision-making is really poor. And a lot of this I put on Peterson because the, this Trevor Lawrence isn't carrying any team. He's not. They have to have a better offensive line. They've got to be more physical. They've got to stop being in shotgun all the time and run the ball a little bit. You got ATN, one of the best backs in the league, and you're 31st in yards per attempt. Eesh. Like the problem is, they become this 11 team because Evan Ingram, but they're really a 10 team because Evan Ingram can't block anybody. Right. So they have no run game. And they keep doing the same thing over and over. And of course, everybody says it's great because that's just a national narrative. Oh, it's great. Peterson's going to make them better. He really hasn't. I mean, he hasn't. Is he better than his rookie year? Slightly. Slightly better. His rookie year, he had 17 interceptions. This year, he's got 12. I, it, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's really a, they're in a tough spot because they're going to pay him, but how much do you pay him? Yeah, that's going to be the question. And, you know, they went through this in Dallas a couple of years ago with Dak, and these contracts, once they come up, you go, what's the worth of the player versus what the market demands? You're right. They're going to be in a quandary there. That's for sure. Uh, I want to stay in the division. I want to look at the Colts and get your thoughts on them because uh, they kind of laid an egg against Atlanta. got dominated uh, by the Falcon defense, uh, only put 10 points up on the board. They're three-point favorites next week against the Raiders. And obviously, if they win their last two, you, you see what the Jaguars do. The Jaguars have a very favorable schedule, as we mentioned. They can't win the division if they're tied with Jacksonville because Jacksonville beat them twice. What do you make of this Colts team going forward? Well, look, the Colts have been horrendous on defense all year. 
I was on Atlanta this week only because Atlanta was playing at home, and they're usually much better at home. Mm -hmm. And the Colts are not good on the road. I mean, the Colts are not a good road team. They go into Cincinnati against a really bad Cincinnati defense, right? You know, we talk about Jake Browning and the Cincinnati offense missing chase. Cincinnati's defense is they stink on defense. They can't rush, and then they lose D.J. Reader, which really hurts them. They, they give up, you know, this, the, they, the Colts can't move the ball, and they score 14 against them. You know, they win an overtime game against Tennessee, kind of fortunate, but they blocked two punts in that game, remember? Right, right. right? They're not a good road team, the Colts. So when they went down to Atlanta, what Atlanta did to them is they blitzed inside. They did exactly the same game plan that Jacksonville did against Minshew from week five of the season. They attacked him inside out. They stopped the zone. They got into fronts where it was going to be hard to run the football, and they put the burden of responsibility on the Colts receivers who aren't good enough, right? They don't have Pittman, and then the other guys can't carry, and so now he's got to hold the ball. He's getting pressure, making mistakes. The Colts are a, are a bad playoff team if they make it. Mm. They're just not good enough on defense, and they've gone down this road. Remember, this offseason, the reason they hired Steichen was because you had to keep Gus Bradley. Right. You got to keep Gus Bradley. Bradley's the best, you know. He's he, and their defense is horrendous. Their defense can't get control of the game. <laughs> you know, they they can't stop anybody when they have to stop somebody. Atlanta went up and down the field on them, four hundred six yards, two hundred and twenty yards passing, one seventy seven rushing. And they never, and this is an eight man front team that's supposed to stop the run. But the Titans ran for one seventy seven against them. The Bucks, who don't even want to run the ball, they ran for one hundred twenty five against them. Yeah, I look at it and I go. There's going to be some some teams that get in. If the Colts do, in fact, get in, they go, boy, they might be easy outs in the postseason. Another one in the NFC that you might feel similarly about could be the uh, Skull guys up there with the Skull chant in Minnesota, the Purple People Eaters. Uh, Nick Mullins, not a good day uh, in a game that ended oh. up being winnable against Detroit. Now they got a big one against Green Bay, which could be a Wes Reynolds, uh, you know, last man standing, you know, loser leaves town match here, Green Bay and Minnesota. They don't know if they're going to stick with Mullins. They might go to the rookie at a BYU and Jaron Hall. I don't think oh, they're going to go back to Josh Dobbs. What do you to, do? I mean, I've seen enough of Mullins. Mullins just is a turnover machine. And and if he didn't have some of the great receivers that he had, he he would be, you know, I mean, he would be even worse. I mean, Jefferson, they intercept balls that are tended to be intercepted by the defense. Yeah. You know, they make incredible plays. I mean, I've seen enough of Mullins. Like, all week, I don't know what you were doing, what you had heard all week long, David, but all week long, all I heard were the pros are all over Minnesota. Lime was at three and a half. It went to three. Then it closed. I think it closed to two and a half on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Everybody was on Minnesota. Minnesota, Minnesota, pro money coming in on Minnesota. I, and I kept saying in my notes to myself, like, there's no way I'm taking Minnesota with Nick Mullen. There's no way. I mean, I love Flores to pressure Goff, but I also know that Nick Mullen's going to give him a chance. I'm with you. I was on the Detroit side. I didn't understand it. And look, to Minnesota's credit, they were still in it and had a chance late because Detroit just tried to give this thing away kind of like the Eagles did against the Giants. And luckily those for, for, for you and I, those tickets for Detroit still cashed. It did close two and a half there. Minnesota, man, like I love what Brian Flores is doing defensively, heating up the other quarterbacks. But offensively, they got issues now. Hawkinson went out. Uh, Addison, the rookie at SC, he went out. This, this game against Green Bay is going to be very dicey for them to, to round out Week 17. And I, I do think if Green Bay can get a semblance of defense, something we can talk about later on in the show, could be a very winnable game for Green Bay on the road. To that point, let's come back and talk meaningless or meaningful next on the Lombardi Line.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. At- 